today on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. There's a new 10-page report that is uh, encouraging Canadian doctors to try uh, alternative treatments for patients with chronic non-cancer pain and avoid prescribing opioids. It's uh, the latest effort to tackle the opioid crisis that is uh, sweeping the nation and that has seen overdoses claim an estimated 2,000 lives in 2015 and even more last year. And here to uh, shed a little more information on this topic is Jason Bussa, Principal Investigator for the Opioid Guideline Development and Associate Professor of Anesthesia at McMaster University. Jason, how are you? Very good. Nice to be on with you today. Thanks for joining us today. So maybe take us through this 10-page report and, and, and the aim of it. Yes, uh, the aim of this document is to update the information that was used for the 2010 guideline uh, to provide clinicians and patients with the best information possible regarding use of opioids for chronic non-cancer pain. So looking at what we used to have to now this report, how much different is this? Well, the original report focused a lot more on the prescribing of opioids for chronic pain and suggested a maximum dose of 200 morphine equivalents per day. Uh, We focused a lot more on when not to prescribe opioids, and when you do make a, a trial of opioids part of the program of care, we've suggested to stay below 50 morphine equivalents per day, and we've made a strong recommendation to stay below 90. So we focused a lot more on not just uh, how to prescribe, but when not to prescribe, and we've lowered the threshold dose that was recommended in 2010 quite a bit. I understand uh, the guidelines, recommendations uh, for for clinical practice have been developed by an international team of uh, clinicians, researchers, and patients uh, led by the Michael G. DeGroote National Pain Center at McMaster University and funded by Health Canada and the Canadian Institutes of Health Research. A lot of hands in the pot there. Uh, Do you think you have it right? Uh, well, I, I think we've made a solid attempt. I think that we've we've got a, a document that we can defend, and if followed, is going to lead towards more evidence-based prescribing of opioids. And I'm I'm glad that you highlighted the involvement of patients. I would say, uh, from my perspective, that was one of the most important things that we did is to bring on a dedicated panel of patients living with chronic pain. Uh, or patients that had experienced opioid addiction, or in one case, uh, an individual whose son had passed away from use of prescription opioids, in order to have their voice considered uh, at many stages during the guideline development process, uh, really brought on some essential components from my perspective. Well, I applaud you and and your team for involving patients because, you know, clinicians and researchers and and physicians uh, from coast to coast and and, and a whole lot beyond uh, probably have some really great ideas how to tackle this problem, but the patients themselves, I mean, they are living the story, so to speak. So to, to glean information from them, I think was an outstanding play on your part. Yeah, well, I really appreciate that. And, and we've also made the distinction, we had areas where we had high quality evidence to base our recommendations, and those we made strong recommendations for. But we also had areas where the evidence was lower in quality, and we've made weak recommendations. And the important distinction there is for a weak recommendation, it becomes critical to involve the patient's values and preferences when making that decision. So the patient voice was important in terms of developing the guidelines. And when implementing them, in particular with the weak recommendations, it's critical that patients continue to be involved in that shared care decision-making process. So what did the patient voice say? What did you hear? 
Well, what we really heard from patients is they were quite concerned that there would be a one-size-fits-all approach uh, implemented on them, uh, that they were very different. Their concerns were very different. Uh, patients that were uh, looking at a new trial of opioids were quite distinct from patients that had been doing well on high dose of opioids for many years. So we considered that very carefully, and we've made separate recommendations for those individuals that are coming in looking uh, at an opioids for the first time versus those patients that have been on opioids for long periods of time, maybe at a high dose. We also heard from our patients that many of them were interested in looking at exploring opportunities to reduce their dose of opioids. They, they had experienced some sedation, uh, some issues with that opioid use, but they were very, very worried about symptoms of opioid withdrawal. And everybody engaged in long-term opioid therapy will become physically dependent. And so it's important when you try to help somebody reduce their dose of opioids that you do it in an individualized fashion. And if that person has come down to a point where it becomes difficult for them to go beyond, that it's appropriate to stop there. If someone experiences an increase in pain, a serious decrease in function that lasts for a month after you've made a small reduction in their dose of opioid, it is quite reasonable to pause the taper and even to abandon the taper in some individuals. So we don't want to push everybody towards a theoretical threshold. We want to consider the individual circumstances. Want to hear more? Download the podcast on iTunes or Google Play and listen to The Scott Thompson Show weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.